Gregory Soto is a Philadelphia Philly as well as Cody Clemens. And in classic Gregory Soto fashion, he has to just one more time make everybody argue and be like super controversial on his way out. We're going to talk about the trade today on Locked on Tigers. You are Locked on Tigers, your daily Detroit Tigers podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Locked On Tigers. I'm, of course, your host, Scott Bentley. Today is Monday, January 9th, 2023. Thank you for making Locked On Tigers your first listen every single day, free and available wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is you cover this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. I've been saying the wrong date for a while. Somebody pointed that out. Thank you. I'm trying. I knew it was going to be a tough transition. I'm probably going to say 2022 a lot more. It's 2023. And with the 2023 season, we'll bring new moves. Uh, Y'all wanted moves. We got moves. I wanted moves. We got moves. And again, of course, just because Gregory Soto is involved, it's going to be crazy controversial because that's just what he was, really. He was a polarizing figure and not anything for like not for anything he did it it wasn't like Gregory Soto is some loud like super outspoken guy it's just the type of pitcher he was stirred a, a lot of debate and argument within this fan base and so the only thing I'm gonna say and we'll break down all the players we'll break down the return we'll break down where the roster uh stands currently we'll we will Cover everything you want to have covered with this trade in, in this episode, okay? That's just what the whole show is going to be about. I just want to start it off by saying, it is possible, and this is the camp I fall in, it is possible to think Gregory Soto is a pretty good pitcher and still think that this is a good return. It is not as black and white as... Gregory Soto sucks, so this is good. Or Gregory Soto is amazing, so this is terrible. This is good value for what we just gave up. And I think Gregory Soto is a pretty solid pitcher. But this is good value. First and foremost, not foremost. I keep doing that. First off... I think the biggest thing that you can just point to right away, and again, this doesn't have to do with how good the players are or anything, but just optically, on paper, you traded a relief pitcher and Cody Clemens. I don't want to forget about Cody, um, but I'm not sure how much of a future Cody Clemens has as an everyday starter at the major league level, but we, we can talk about that later. You traded a reliever for three bats relievers are Gregory Soto is going to get you what somewhere between I mean if we go like really low versus like really high we make the range really big 40 to like 70 innings on any given season you traded one dude that's going to be at most 60 to 70 innings like at, at most at most and in return you got 
three bats, two of which could get legitimate playing time this season, like immediately, and have five years of control left. And the other one has six. Just optically, that that alone is solid value for a relief pitcher. Okay, now we'll talk about the players individually and whatnot, but just I, I want to start off with that. Because that's that's a thumbs up. Three dudes that, that could potentially play every day. I don't think all three will be everyday players, but three bats, one reliever, good value. All right? So, we're, I, my brain is just going in so many directions when, when these kind of moves happen. So, where do we want to start? I guess we can start. We'll end with like where the team is now and whatnot. So we'll start. Talk, we will talk about the trade first. Let's talk about the return. We'll talk about the players. Then we'll talk about Greg. Then we'll go on to to whatever else we need to do. So I think the biggest. I don't want to call it a lie because that seems way too dramatic. But one of the biggest like myths I saw after this trade was oh, the Tigers are getting like three bench players and so that's dumb and this is a bad trade. They're bench players on a team that made the World Series and one of them played in like 115 games. He wasn't even really a bench player. And one of them started more than he didn't start (laughs) this season. Uh, So that's not even really true. But even if it was, even if it was like these are all three like depth bench, they are depth bench pieces quote-unquote for a, a a really good baseball team and the Detroit Tigers I hate to be the bearer of bad news if you haven't come to terms with this are not a very good baseball team right now and so if you can trade one player and get three that all potentially could have impacts at the major league level immediately and for the next five years that also is a good move so this like oh what they're just going to be because they were depth pieces for the Phillies. They're going to be depth pieces for us is just preposterous. And and that's also not me saying that these dudes are going to be all three are going to turn into everyday players either. I, the likelihood of that is also relatively slim. Okay. I, I'm not trying to sell you that, that these three dudes are, are all going to be 162 game like starters for their entire careers. But, and in the same breath, the whole like, oh, they're not prospects. They're all like 26. They're all between 25 and 27 years old, all three of them. Like, oh, like they're not prospects. They're not young. Like they are what they are. That, Like that's kind of the in the same breath of what the conversation I just had. Like that. that's also, it's not that black and white. Nothing is. Everything's a spectrum. It, it, it's, not, it's not that black and white. Like the, these guys couldn't find everyday spots. And again, one of them played in over 110 games. But, the, the, oh, they, they couldn't find everyday spots. Well, again, that's because they were playing on a, a really good team that made the World Series and added more pieces this offseason. The Phillies have only added more. So the, the, the argument that, oh, they didn't play as much in Philadelphia, like that means they're bench players that they're they're And like, when did utility player get such a negative connotation? When did that happen? I would like to talk to the person that, that made utility man, such a negative connotation between like all fan bases. When, when did that happen? Utility players rock 
all a utility player is means they play multiple positions. That doesn't mean they're a bench player. That doesn't mean they 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 only play in 80 games a year. Ben Zobrist was a utility player and was like a five-win player in an all-star. And he played in like six different positions his all-star season, one of his all-star seasons. Like, utility player doesn't mean like bad. I don't, I don't know when that happened. And again, I, I'm not trying to sell you that these any of these dudes are Ben Zobrist or anything. I'm not. We'll get into my opinion of the individual players themselves and what I think that they could be. But there's just a lot, like, uh, initial trades happen and everybody just immediately just, like, fires off their opinion is like, this is garbage, this is great, this is whatever, whatever. Like, some of the, the instant, like, hothead reactions were just, were just wild to me. And so I just wanted to address all of those. Like, th- these guys will play here. Two of them, especially right off rip, are going to get legitimate playing time. And that's awesome because we have two guys now that, I mean, we got three, but again, we have at least, we'll put it that way, two guys now who are in their mid-20s with five years of control left that are going to have the potential, if they're good enough, to play every day and become everyday ball players on massive positional needs or be utility players, whatever, for a a, a reliever and an organizational depth bat that was not going to make the major league roster this season and is older than these guys or same age-ish. So I I just wanted to start with those. Uh, The the optics, the initial reaction of uh, of, uh, whether it was negative or positive, just like the, the initial optics of the deal I like, and I found it really wild that so many people didn't. So let's get into the players themselves. Okay. We'll finally get to that part of the show. I know that that's what most people want to listen to. So we'll get to that part. We'll break down all three players we got. We will just go over Gregory Soto one last time for old time's sake. Just talk about the player that we gave up. Uh, and then we will get into, uh, in the final segment, the where the team kind of stands now. And just like what the roster is going to look like, what the game plan is going to be, where these guys are going to play, what the bullpen looks like now, etc. Okay, so we will do all of that right after I tell you all about our friends over at BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends of every professional amateur league out there. From pro football to college bowl season, basketball, they've got it all at betonline.net. If you love sports podcasts, you can find those at betonline.net as well. They're the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info. Start to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, everybody, welcome back here. Segment two of Locked on Tigers, big episode today. Big episode. Obviously, the Gregory Soto trade is uh, probably the biggest move of the offseason. I mean, it's either that or Joe Jimenez, right? So trading just a a polarizing figure like that was always going to be, well, polarizing. And so uh, here we are. Let's talk about the players that we acquired. Uh, Again, I don't want to keep saying first off because that doesn't make sense because it's no longer first off. We're 10 minutes into the show. Uh, another thing to point out with the players that we received was 
that we've been talking about for months, ever since Scott Harris made the comments, that this team wanted to add catching depth. They wanted to add a left-handed hitting infielder and a right-handed hitting outfielder. And they did all three of that by getting rid of Gregory Soto and Cody Clemens. They addressed all three of those in one trade. And so that, uh, again, if you don't like the trade, that's, that's fine. But they are addressing what this team needs, and they are fulfilling their game plan. Time will tell how the game plan works out. Let's talk about these players, finally. I've said it like eight times. Let's actually do it, okay? First up, we have Matt Vierling. This one's really enticing, and this is the one that I think a lot of people pointed to immediately, and were like, this guy is really exciting. In my opinion, Matt is like the, the prototype of a Comerica Park player. And so, so hear me out. First off, speed. 97th percentile in sprint speed this season. One of the fastest players in the major leagues last year. Top 3% in speed. Really, really fun off rip, right? 80th percentile arm strength too. Big outfield in Comerica, obviously. So the ability to, to, to have an arm and have speed, intangibles that are great in Comerica. So, that, those are like really easy things to point to and be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. He's an outfielder primarily, but we'll get into that in a second too. He's an outfielder and he's really fast and has a cannon. That's great. Offensively is where I really think this is the Comerica Park prototype. We have to hear all the time about how Comerica Park is super deep and this team, like they're robbing players of home runs, et cetera, et cetera, Right. Veerling had a 20 was in the 24th percentile in barrel percentage. That's in the bottom quarter of baseball. It's not very it's not a very eye-popping number. It's not very good. It's in the blue, right? Bottom quarter of the league. However, he was in the 93rd percentile in expected batting average, and that's because he was in the 85th percentile in hard hit percentage. Now, Barreling up a ball has a lot to do with the egg, not only the exit velocity, but also the launch angle, the horizontal angle, all that kind of good stuff to determine if it's a barrel or not. Whereas hard hit percentage and average exit velocity is just simply how hard you hit the baseball, right? So 86 percentile on average exit velo, 85th and hard hit percentage. And that's for a speedy guy. This has like doubles machine written all over it to me. And that's why this is so exciting. I think this could be a, a player where if you just teach him to hit line drives, grounders, obviously big no-no, but when you have speed, you can at least kind of force, you know, the defense to make a mistake, be down infield single, et cetera, like Prime Ichiro used to do, right? But if you can just get a little bit of elevation, I'm not even asking for barrels necessarily, just get it over the shortstop's head or, or I mean, in Comerica, get it over the second baseman's head and it, he's on third base. So this is a really exciting profile for me personally because I, I just feel like this is exactly the type of player that plays unbelievably well in Comerica Park with, with Copa as their home field. So that's super exciting. Defensively, 
He's played majority outfield, but it is worth noting he has experience at first base. He has experience at second base. He has experience at third base. And he has experience at all three outfield positions. And when I say experience, anywhere from a few games played to, you know, 500 innings there. But it's also important important to note that it is not just like, oh, in single A, he played three games at first base. He has major league experience at first base, second base, third base, and all three outfield positions. Not necessarily a huge sample size, but... 57 innings at first, 19 at second, 42 at third, and well over 100 at all three outfield positions. Kind of exciting. It already sounds like they really like his versatility and he's an athlete and they're going to play him all over the field. Uh, Veerling is 26 years old, was drafted in the fifth round in the 2018 MLB draft. As we said earlier, it's five years of control left. Uh, has some decent walk numbers in the minor league level. Has not translated to the major league level yet. But if you look at K percentage all throughout really every league he's been, he's striking out pretty consistently 20% or less of the time. And that's, again, we, we've talked about it before. Dominating the strike zone isn't necessarily 100% just do you walk a ton. If you don't strike out, that's really nice too. So uh, he does have, like I said, at AAA, he had a season where he had a walk percentage of over 10%. In AA, he had a walk percentage of almost 12% one season. Um, but the K percentage really at every single level that he's gotten legitimate playing time in has been 20% or less. So, I mean, even last year, uh, again, in 117 games played, only a 6.4 walk percentage. And it's so funny, like I say only a 6.4 walk percentage. That's double like all of our quote-unquote utility players last year. That's like double Willie. That's like double Harold. That like <laughs> like double what there was. And that's like, oh, it could probably still get better for this guy, right? So that's kind of exciting. And then the K rate was under 20% last year. Again, over 115 games played. Uh his slash line in last season was 246 batting average, 297 OBP, and a 351 slug. Obviously, like I said earlier, you would like the slugging percentage to go up, and you would do that by hitting line drives in Comerica Park because that would be awesome given his physical abilities. So, uh, And then defensively, like I said, he has the tools. His outs above average was pretty middle of the road. Uh, his jump was really bad. Like His outfield jump was not very good at all. So that would be something that would immediately fix that. If you could get him to have like a Riley Green caliber jump, then, I, I mean, you're talking about a, a dude who could fly in the outfield and be a really good plus defender because even with a terrible jump right now, he's still a middle-of-the-road defender without above average. So, uh, yeah, pr- this one's pretty enticing just because of all the physical tools. Like, that. that's what what makes this acquisition really fun. And, and again, the, I, it sounds like we'll talk about it a little bit later, but sounds like they're going to play him all over the diamond and, and not feel bad about it. Like I, I would not be surprised if he was playing a lot more than just outfield. I, it wouldn't shock me at all if he got some looks at, at, uh, at some infield positions as well. Okay, cool. Let's get on to uh, the next players, the next two players that they acquired for Gregory Soto and Cody Clemens. But first I got to tell y'all about our friends over at built bar. If you're looking for a delicious treat, but you don't want all the fat and calories, you have to try Built Bar. We just got through the holidays, and I know my goal is to eat a little bit healthier this year. And if you're like me, when you want to eat healthier, 
but then you don't want to compromise taste. And that's just like a normal thing that most people feel like. If you fall into that category as well, you have to try Built. Built Bar is healthy and actually tasty. They're so delicious. You won't think they're good for you. They're perfect for a New Year's resolution. The cool thing about Built Bar is now, besides the fact that they have a ton of incredible flavors like churro, peanut butter, brownie, coconut, almond, etc., uh, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. They're so good for you. 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 17 grams of protein. And now you can get them at Walmart or Sam's Club. Go pick up a 4-bar box. Go pick up a 13-bar box. But you can get Built Bar now at Sam's Club and at Walmart near you. So go get Built Bar today. All right, everybody, third and final segment here at Locked On Tigers. Thanks for making us your first listen every day. For your next listen, check on uh, Locked On MLB Prospects. Host Lindsey Crosby is a prospect encyclopedia. He's going deep on the MLB stars of tomorrow. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube, just like us. All right, there's no way I'm done in 30. Let's get on to the next player that the Tigers acquired in this trade. We talked about Matt Bierling. Next up, we have Nick Matan, 25 years old, another guy that has played a lot of positions defensively. So I guess we'll start there. I mean, this this guy has legitimate like innings at like every position. Uh, over 200 professional innings at second base, 11 professional innings at third base, 158 professional innings at shortstop, 50 professional innings in left field, 63 professional innings in uh, center in right field, seven professional innings in center field. Uh, I, I mean, even as a hundred innings as a DH professionally, like he's just playing all over the diamond and getting legitimate looks all over the diamond. I think some people have pointed to this guy as like the going to get a look at third base. We'll talk about third base later in the show as well, but this is another one that, that really just fits the profile of what this team is trying to do. And I, I said it, after the Joe Jimenez trade. And I'll say it again, because it keeps reproving itself in this deal it is uh, very much reiterates this point as well. Whether you hate these trades more than anyone, and you think these are the worst trades in the world, or whether you think these are the greatest trades of all time, it is objectively true that this front office has a profile. They have a type and they are going to see this through with their profile. That's what they're going to do. They are going to get high walk, dominate the strike zone guys on offense and on the pitching side of things. Look, man, we can call a spade a spade. Gregory Soto was never going to fit the profile of what this front office wanted. He is way too sporadic. They wanted him, I think, to take a big step forward last year or in 2022, and he didn't. And the walk numbers pretty much stayed the same with an over five walk per nine. It is what it is. I wish him the best. I love the dude. But this front office is going to see this through. And at least this team has an identity. That's that rant I went on with after the Jimenez trade, right? At least this team has an identity and they are going to acquire players that fill that identity and they're going to see if it works or not. The previous regime 
Whether you, I can't imagine you think it was better than the current one, but even if you do, whatever, all oh, this is Avila 2.0, which is also absolutely ridiculous to state out loud for the public to hear. But um, it, it, at least they have an identity, and, and they're going to see if it works or not. Okay, cool. So, yeah, Matan is, is someone that – and if my pronunciation is a little off of any of these guys, we'll figure it out when the season comes along, all right? Uh, this is a dude that has really good walk numbers in the minors and also in a pretty small sample size, but in, in a sample size at the major league level, uh, has decent walk numbers as well. So far in 87 games at the major league level, 216 Played appearances. He has a 9.3 walk percentage. That's solid. He's striking out a lot at the major league level, but in the minors, he didn't strike out very much. So I think that that's just going to come with development. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you look at any level of the minors, he's walking at like 13.5%, a 15% walk rate season, 12.5%, 11, 12. Like this dude walks a lot and that fits the profile. Again, so the one thing that a lot of people pointed to was the strikeout numbers. They were pretty high at the major league level again, which is objectively true and no one's going to say anything otherwise, but at the minor league level, it it hasn't been nearly that high. It's like 10% higher at the major league level than it ever was, even at its highest in the minor league level. So uh, I, I think that that's something that developmentally could come along and, and he could get better at, at least that's what we're hoping for, obviously. Uh, almost had a one-win season last year in only 35 games. I'm not going to lie to you. That's pretty darn impressive. And one of the reasons for that is because of the versatility and just the good defensiveness on defense. We talked about how many different positions he's played. Uh, there are some positions. The shortstop, he was a negative defender for sure. But pretty much every other position, you can make an argument that he was at least a net zero defender. And when you have the versatility of playing whatever, six different positions, right? Like we talked about that with Harold all the time on this show. If you listen during the season, like Harold Castro played seven different positions, but he didn't play a single one of them. Well, this guy plays multiple positions. And again, whether it's a negative one, a zero, a plus one, whatever, he's around a net zero defender at all of them in this limited sample size. We don't have advanced defensive metrics for the minor league level. So hopefully with more playing time, we'll get a clearer picture of where, he stands defensively, but no like unbelievably terrible numbers so far in his major league career uh, defensively either. And yeah, I, I mean, that that's pretty much it. I, the Really, the big conversation comes with uh, where these guys fit into the lineup next. So we'll get into that at uh, after we get through all these players. But this is another uh, intriguing like player. And, and again, like 25 years old, it has five years of control left. Like this is this seventh round pick in 2017. I think he peaked at the 12th ranked prospect, depending on what site you use, I guess. So maybe that's null, but uh, for MLB.com, he peaked as the uh, just outside a top 10 prospect for the Philadelphia Phillies organization, not in baseball or anything, but in the Philadelphia Phillies organization. So uh, was viewed at decently highly at one point when he still had prospect status, which he, which he obviously does not anymore. So there you go, Nick Matan, another member of your Detroit Tigers. Let's get into the final player in this list, and that is, again, a catcher, Donnie Sands. Donnie Baseball, baby. <laughs> Donnie Sands, catcher for your Detroit Tigers. Now, I almost said for the Philadelphia Phillies, but that's not true. So Sands is a guy that was in the New York Yankees organization for like six years and then was finally moved to Philadelphia in 2022. 
and in the minors put up solid numbers. And again, shocker, he walks quite a bit, especially as, I mean, again, he only has three at bats at the major league level in his entire career. Uh, so he has four plate appearances. One of them was a walk. His four plate appearances. So he looks like he played in when, well, no, he says he appeared in three games. So I was going to say he played in one game, but regardless, 15.7% walk rate in AAA in 2022, paired with an 18.2% K rate. This is a guy that's almost walking as much as he's striking out in AAA this season. Uh, this will be his age 27 season. Appears to be a pretty solid defender. We we have yet to see a big sample size at the major league level, but most people say that that he has uh, some defensive upside so far in the minors at, at behind the dish. Uh, he's also gotten some legitimate innings at DH just because, again, like he he has, he's a good OBP guy. He's he's a good on base percentage guy, and he had a four twenty eight slugging percentage for whatever that's worth in twenty twenty two as well. That's not a low number either, but uh, the 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 on base percentage doing a lot of the heavy lifting in that OPS, OPS for sure. So. Uh, I mean, again, it fits the profile. It makes sense. We talked about catcher earlier. Let's just transition to that. We'll just smoothly transition. If this is a 40-minute episode, I'm really sorry. But, th- I mean, this is like the biggest day of the offseason so far for us. So, I'm not too sorry. But um, So, let's talk about where the team stands right now. Let's talk about where these three players fit into everything. Uh, we'll start with catcher just because we're already on the topic. Catcher is a position where going into the offseason, I made it very clear that I wanted to add a legitimate major league catcher. Instead of that, and we talked about this last week, instead of adding a top-end Wilson Contreras, et cetera, whatever, they went out and they got like five depth catchers and that relatively loosely fit their profile And whether it's previous pedigree, whether they just walk a lot, whether they're good defenders, whatever. And they're just going to see if any of them stick. And I know that that's not like the really attractive answer. And that's not something that everyone's going to like jump for joy and go, oh, fun. But that seems to be the plan at catcher. It's going to, we're going to head into spring. Eric Haas is going to be 1A. 1B, it's going to be Jake Rogers' job to lose. But we're going to have like seven catchers on the first day of one pitchers and catchers report that all could legitimately fight for some playing time. And again, it's going to be Rodgers and and Haas to lose. Uh, Absolutely. It's going to be their presumed job going into the spring. But A, we've had a lot of catcher injuries over the last couple of years and catching depth has been needed. So this is good even regardless of if they really turn into anything or not. Then B... I mean, I, I've said it a lot, but like, this is what good front offices do. Even if it's not really great and you're not super happy about it, depth is important. And the reason that you get a lot of depth, especially young depth that fits your profile is because then if the opportunity presents itself for any of these dudes in their mid twenties that we have now Feliciano and now Donnie here, like if they get an opportunity, they have the potential to take it and run with it. And then, you know, you're throwing something at a wall and hoping something sticks. Again, I know that's not like a sexy answer. No one wants to hear that, but that that's what's happening. The other two is is the much more fascinating conversation for sure. I want to start with third base. I don't I am now of the belief that and this is also not exactly going to make everybody happy, I don't think. 
I am now of the belief that third base is close to set. And I don't mean that I'm looking at this roster and going, oh, I know exactly who's going to play 162 games at third base this year. I don't think that exists. I don't think Nostradamus could tell you that. But I think that much similar to the conversation we just had with backup catcher is a very similar conversation to what's going to happen at third base. They have a group of guys. They have Henry Malloy. They have Kreidler. They have two guys in, in this trade that both have major league experience at third base, whether it's five innings or 500 innings, doesn't matter. They have played third at the major league level. And I already said Kreidler's name. Like, like you have, I don't want to say a revolving door, but you have a, a lot of options. That doesn't mean you have answers on January 9th. But you have a lot of potential answers. It's a multiple choice question that you are still thinking of and sweating over on ACT Day. Think of it like that (laughs) or don't. But seriously, like that's you you have five potential options for third. You don't know which one the long term answer is. And you're going to roll into this season and see which one again sticks. And. Honestly, like I'm not trying to sound like a crazy person. That's like entertaining. And, and I'm not saying that this team is going to be the most entertaining team in baseball and they're they're going to be toward the bottom of the standings. I understand that. I'm not, you know, like drinking the the, the Tiger Kool-Aid or anything. But this is it, it's it's entertaining to see a bunch of players compete for a position and, and try and prove themselves and it's fun to see prospects or young players get opportunities. And again, like just because these guys couldn't find their way onto the lineup of a team that literally made the world series last year, doesn't mean if you turn around, like they're going to have every opportunity in the world. Now, these guys could both play in over a hundred games and have 350 plus plate appearances. And that's good because they've never had that at the major league level. So all of the, like, oh, they're bench players, like, this sucks. You don't know what they are. No one does. That's why you make this trade. Scott Harris said, quote-unquote, calculated risk. That's what this is. I am not. I have not spent the last 35 minutes trying to convince you that these three dudes are going to be everyday starters. I said that at the beginning, and I'm saying it again now. I'm not trying to convince you that these dudes are going to turn into all-stars or, like, four or five win players. They might all fizzle out, but this is a trade that I like, and I'm not freaking out and jumping for joy and going, oh my goodness, we fleece the Phillies, because that's certainly not true, but I like the optics of this deal. I like what it could become, and value-wise, in my head, pretty straightforward, this is good value. Let's talk about the bullpen. Gregory Soto is gone. Joe Jimenez is gone. Michael Fulmer is gone. Andrew Chafin, as it stands right now, is gone. This was, surprisingly, one of the better bullpens in the entire game of baseball last year. And now you have lost four of your five best relievers going into 2023. That's the big question, everybody asks. Who's going to be the closer? I think as a society... We need to let go of that. 
And maybe this is just how I see the game of baseball, and that's not reciprocated by a ton of other people, and that's fine. But it's time that we let go of, like, who's the closer? That's so important. We need to know who the closer specifically is. Alex Lang is going to be, I think, the high-leverage reliever, so we'll call it. Alex Lang's going to be the dude that, in the highest leverage situation late in the game, or at least going into spring, it's going to be his to lose. We'll put it that way. If he's a really rough spring, then maybe they do kind of a revolving door, a by-committee thing. But I think it's time we – we because the fact of the matter is, the way baseball is played today, the way bullpens are managed today – the closer is becoming more and more archaic. I'm not trying to be dramatic because saves are important and and, and uh, closing the door and converting on save opportunities is an important skill. One that Gregory Soto was really good at, by the way, whether you like it or not. But I think that we're going into a day and age of baseball where they're going to look at matchups inning to inning and they're going to figure out who the high leverage guy is rather than just the closer specifically. And this is not new necessarily. I'm not, you know, like AJ Hinge talked about this last year and, and managers have talked about it in the past too. Uh, but I, I think that we're headed more and more that direction. And like the title of like, who is our closer just like doesn't mean what it used to. Like, no one's going out there and putting up, like, 60 save seasons anymore. That's just not how how the game of baseball is and how bullpens are managed really anymore. Now, if we look at the bullpen, there's only one lefty now. Tyler Alexander, if you if Joey Wentz is in your bullpen when you're making your, you know, like, what's the roster going to look like, then I guess maybe him as well. But the only guaranteed lefty, I guess I should say, in this bullpen at the moment is Tyler Alexander. And so... Look, I don't know if that moves the needle of like, hey, we need to really prioritize and bring Andrew Chafin back. Uh, and if he does really well, he can then be a trade piece or whatever. But, I mean, I don't want to ro- roll into opening day with only one lefty in the entire bullpen. I don't know if you do, but I would rather we brought in another lefty. Again, it, like Joey Wentz, I guess, could be thrown into that ring as well. But like Hill, Brisky, Fiedo, I mean, those, those guys are all righties. Cisnero, Foley, Englert, the Rule 5 guy, Will Vest, Lang, obviously. Okay. It's Tyler Alexander. So that's something that is going to need to be addressed now. I think they will. Uh we talked about a lot that like they weren't done making moves. They were going to make moves. It was going to happen. And they did. And they got everything that they set out at the beginning of the off season that they wanted to add. And they did it through trade. And again, not trying to, not trying to sell you that these guys are world beaters. Um, But I think that the ability to give them the opportunity to play every day or close to every day that they never would have had in Philly. And that's the reason why they're 25, 26, 27 years old and are still like fringe major league baseball players. Like that's, it's not necessarily because of talent. Like Gavin Lux was like a top prospect for like a decade because he just didn't have room on the Dodgers. And I'm not trying to say that anybody on here is Gavin Lux. And I'm not trying to say that the Phillies are the Dodgers. Okay. So we can get that out of the way right now before I, I read a comment that says that, but 
That that happens. If there's not a spot, there's not a spot. So uh, that's something that, again, Scott Harris said earlier in the offseason, one of the best assets this team has is spots on the major league roster to let people play. And this trade to a T exemplifies that point. Okay. Okay. Is there anything else? Uh, I don't think so. I'm trying to go over my notes and see if there's any more that I wanted to cover. I'm I, sorry. My brain was all over the place. I think I articulated everything as, as well as I wanted to. Um, I, I guess the last point I have is just, this is what this front office, this new front office thinks about your baseball team. And that might be a harsh way to go out, but they are willing to trade one player for three, maybe, maybe not bats, just to see if they stick. This trade, I think, tells you everything you need to know about what this front office thinks of the organizational depth at the moment. At least at the major league level. We've talked about development in the minors throughout the entire offseason, how it's taken strides, but... This this front office came in, removed like 16 or 17 players from the 40-man roster, added five players to the 40-man from like the protect from the Rule 5 deadline that were in your organization that weren't on the Rule 5. We thought it was going to be like two. They added five, one of which no one had on any of their like, oh, he might make the 40-man list. Complete surprise. They added five, and now... They're trading their bullpen for young, maybe, maybe not bats and multiple of them in one deal so that they can just get as many young controllable bats as possible. That's the goal. Get as many as they can possibly get their hands on, play them because that's, again, one thing that we can offer anybody is playing time and see who sticks and who doesn't. Look, man, I I know that some people are really not happy with this. This team is is not good. And this is what, I've said this before, this is a, a type of move that good front offices for bad teams have made before. Even good front offices of good teams. Cleveland does moves like this all the time. Go look at any Guardians trade for the last five years consistently they're getting like controllable young not even top prospects just like you know early mid 20s controllable bats that fit their profile and and seeing what sticks they added like they remember last offseason cleveland did not sign a single free agent they just added like 50 million dudes from their 40 man at the rule five protection deadline from their own organization and just said, yeah, one of these ought to stick. And they won the division. I know it was a terrible division, but they won their division. This front office feels that this is necessary. And that should tell you everything you need to know about how they feel about the depth at the major league level currently. And that's why they got rid of like all of it that was here when they first took over. I like it. It's like a like a like a B or a B minus deal. Nothing wrong with those. 
That's still a winner. Potentially. Could be a winner. We'll see. Only time will tell. As far as the Phillies goes, just really quickly at the end. I know I'm way over time, but really quickly at the end here uh, for Philly. Look, if you look at their bullpen, they have a pretty legitimate history at this point of uh, of taking in relievers that throw hard and have command issues and honing them in. And I don't want to say fixing because that's like really dramatic, but uh, and and getting them to a point where they are much have much better command. Their walk numbers go down um, and they feel like that can that can happen again. I mean, they have like three dudes that uh, I think there was just like three of their relievers, two or three of their relievers now with Soto uh, combined for like over 80% of the 100 plus mile an hour pitches this season in 2022 like that. Dabrowski getting a bullpen piece. Who would have thunk it? All right. Thanks for making Lockdown Tigers your first listen every day. For your next listen, check on the Lockdown MLB Prospects podcast. Host Lindsey Crosby is a prospect encyclopedia. Going deep on the MLB stars of tomorrow. It's free and available wherever you get your podcast, including YouTube, just like us. That's all I got. I appreciate y'all. Um, yeah. Heck of a debate here. Heck of a debate here. I know that a lot of people are on either side, but um, yeah. Fun times. Fun times in the Motor City. Peace and love. Going to therapy's dope. I'll catch you all on Wednesday, baby. Go Tigers.